electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Bono and Ice. And tonight on Fast, we are trading the treatments. More promising news on the vaccine front, but one biotech analyst says don't expect it to be a shot in the arm for your portfolio. He'll tell us why. Plus, a spectacular tweet what Elon Musk did today that threw some serious shade at the competition. And we're tracking the after-hours action and shares of Williams-Sonoma and Workday, both stocks on the move following results. We'll bring you the Fast Money trades straight ahead. We start off with a zombie apocalypse on Wall Street. Hundreds of big name companies, once American icons, are now among the walking dead. Names like Boeing, Carnival, Delta, Exxon, Macy's. They aren't making enough money to pay the interest on the mountains of debt they feasted on during the pandemic. Nearly 200 companies have joined the zombie ranks since March, and their numbers are growing. Total debt obligations now nearly $1.4 trillion. So... Is there any hope for The Walking Dead here, Guy? I mean, it, what's interesting is that a lot of these names, they are names that we talk about trading on this show. So how should we start thinking about this? Yeah, well, before we get into The Walking Dead, I just want to point out that's a great job by our crack staff, leading with, of course, the Cranberries zombie, which is a bit of an obvious choice. And the great Dolores O'Riordan, who we lost too soon, she was obviously the founder of the band, wonderful vocalist. I might have gone a different direction, and maybe we could have played something like this, for example, Melissa Lee, if the crack staff is listening. Uh, it's now course, two minutes the into the show. by the zombies. No, I just, it's important to point this yeah, out no, because the folks at home extremely. are paying attention Apparently to Apparently it's, it's more important than, than actually trading our first topic. In what is known as the A block of the no, show, it's, it's, it's not. It's not more important. It's important, and I will. And we'll talk about the A block, and we'll talk about zombie companies because I think it's important. And last night we mentioned Macy's, and you talked about the hundred dollar table. And then Tim said might be the thousand dollar table, and I think collectively we thought there was a real good chance it would test that nine fifty five level, which was the June high, and I think it got up to nine twenty five today on two or three times normal volume. Now's the time to be taking profits. A lot of shorts have been squeezed. Other companies that you mentioned, Delta, for example, I think that's a completely different ballgame. But what I will say is this, counterintuitive as this may seem, if the economy starts to get better, you would think this is good for these companies. But that means interest rates are going to go higher, and that's going to cripple some of these companies. We talked about it last night, and I'm sure one of our guests coming on will talk about that again. Tim, how do you start thinking about Macy's and that debt that they apparently can't service? I mean, when I think about zombies, I think about that thriller video. And I know guys got that red leather jacket with all the zippers on it. So just just to be clear, I, I, I think when I think about those companies you just mentioned, they're all they're all different in terms of their uh, potential to be proper zombies. Uh, a great band, by the way. But I, I think, you know, Boeing is not a zombie company. You know, it's not. Um, Boeing is a company that has the ability to raise debt. But more importantly, yes, Boeing's business has been totally disrupted. 
Boeing has burned through so much cash in the last year, uh, and it will burn through some cash through most of 21, but it will be free cash flow uh, positive by 22, and it'll probably be neutral by the fourth quarter. So, you know, calling them a zombie company, I think, is absurd. Calling Macy's a zombie company is something that's at least a fair analysis, although, again, Macy's showed that free cash flow is something that they expect they're going to have in 2021, too, and a company that raised a lot of money uh, to, to at least be able to fight another day, including having a $3 billion asset back you know, facility is something you don't do cartwheels over Macy's position right now, but the recovery there and I'm long. So I, I've made this clear. I, I actually think there's uh, more of a recovery story, even though I don't think Macy's gets better overnight. Delta, relative to other airlines, is not even close to a zombie story. Delta is actually going to start to make money towards the, the, the fourth quarter of next year. And we're not talking about a normalized business. We're talking about a business where obviously international comes under a lot of pressure. So um, I also just think that the Fed and the role that the Fed is playing here and the role that the Fed will play just through talking uh, about the bazooka in their pocket means a lot of these debt markets don't have a whole lot of an impact in the next six months uh, to what people think they're going to do. I really don't expect it. So it doesn't matter that these companies are zombie companies. It doesn't matter that Delta added $24 billion in debt since the pandemic started. Bottomwin, at what point do we start getting worried about that debt load and these companies? Guy made the point that if the economy gets better, you would think that that'd be better for these companies. They can make more money, they could, et cetera, et cetera sell more of whatever they make. Um, but then interest rates go higher. So how do you weigh that? Yeah, those are all interesting factors to keep into uh, to keep in the front of your mind. And Tim did a good job of laying out the differences of these companies. But speaking to your question, right, the commonality of all these of these companies is that they have, as you have alluded to, have added significant portions of debt to the balance sheet this year, and they are burning through cash at a rate, and and their their revenues are down at rates that we just haven't seen. We're talking about you know, $7.5 billion of cash burn in some instances, $18 billion of cash burn in Boeing's uh, example, seven and a half in Carnival's example. So you, you have this push and pull situation. What I will say is that you've seen across the board, all of these companies put one thing first, right? And that is runway. And so they've taken on this debt so that they have enough cash to get them to their next stop. Now, in order for them to continue to be able to operate, what we've seen is them try to achieve operating leverage by reducing staff count. And that is what I think the, the topic that, that, that we're kind of trying to speak to here is when you start slashing human capital, when you stop investing in capital expenditures, when you stop innovating, that is what leads you to being somewhat of a dead zombie company, even after you've gotten on the other side of this debt coverage coverage ratio. Um, also, something to keep, to keep in mind. If you can't meet your can't meet your debt service coverage ratio, you got serious problems. Dan? Yeah, I think Bonwin makes a great point there. And just look at our auto industry over the last 10 years. And obviously, GM came out of bankruptcy 10 years and wiped out a lot of that debt. But they had a huge government interest that was really, you know, carried along and probably hurt them in a lot of different ways as far as innovation and in the way that Bonwin just described it. It's clearly hurt Ford in a lot of ways. And look at the auto companies are doing really well right now. Um, so I think that's a great point. The other point I'll just make about this is that this is the world that we live in. It's the 
world that a lot of parts, um, you know, you know of, of our planet have been, look at Japan over the last 30 years or whatever. I mean, we are going to be saddled with debt, whether it's consumers, whether it's sovereign balance sheets, um, you know, whatever the heck it is, or corporates. Um, that's just the way it is. And that's why interest rates are really never going to meaningfully go up again because we can't service all the debt. And I just make one other point. If you think about 2020 and what's happened here, obviously the Fed has done their job. They hit this crisis early to make sure that we did not have large scale um, bankruptcies, right, of some major corporations, which would really snowball the unemployment situation here. But let me just tell you this. Here we are now, four months out from expanded unemployment benefits. We're heading into the holiday season. We're in a very rocky transition in a lame duck Congress. And there is no more fiscal stimulus for small businesses and consumers that need it really bad. So the fact that we have a trillion and a half dollars for a bunch of companies that were buying 85 percent are using their free cash flow to buy, you know, 85 percent of their free cash flow to buy back their stock over the last five years, the airlines. And we can't bail out restaurants and we can't bail out consumers. um, That is really troubling to me. Yeah, we're in a really tough spot uh, right now in terms of of that bridge to the other side, waiting uh, for that other side, for the vaccines to actually be distributed uh, and as well as uh, injected into the arms of Americans. Guy Adami, though, um, obviously we mentioned the Fed. The Fed, only if you believe the Fed is going to step away is this a problem. But who believes that the Fed is going to step away? No one. So why is this? So this is not a problem, is it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. If you listen to Mr. Malone today with the, with uh, David Faber, I mean, he's he has concerns. And, and I understand that a lot of people out there think we're never going to have inflation in this country. My pushback would be it's there. We just choose not to acknowledge it. No, by the way, you know, if we do get a vaccine with all this stimulus, with all this money that the Fed has pumped in, uh, there's going to be there is going to be inflation. And to that point, Dan said, we're never going to get higher interest rates. I sort of hope he's right, and he may be right, but they might not have a choice. I mean, you might get inflation in this country that, you know, borderline is serious, and then the Fed has to move, and if they do then have to raise rates against all these zombie companies we're talking about that won't be able to service that debt, that's a really unhealthy brew. Now, it's not happening next week. It's probably not happening in the first quarter of next year, but, you know, around the time of the vaccine, this is a conversation that I guarantee we're going to be having And it's really, in my opinion, potentially really negative for the markets, Melissa. All right. Our next guest blasts the Fed for its role in the rise of these zombie companies. Mark Yusko calls it, quote, a Ponzi finance scheme. He's the CEO and CIO of Morgan Creek Capital. Mark, great to have you with us. Always great to speak with you. Um, I'll kick kick it off with that same question that I asked Guy. When does this become a problem if the Fed is always going to be there? The Fed has always been there. The Fed, the Fed is always there because, look, when you have debt, you have four options. You can pay it back, you can restructure it, you can default on it, or you can devalue it by destroying your currency. Uh, there's no way they, these companies can pay back the debt, so they're not going to do that. Uh, they can't restructure it because none of the holders will restructure. They can't uh, default on it because then they're out of business, they lose their jobs. Uh, same thing with governments. So they're not going to restructure the debt. I mean, uh, default on the debt. So the only choice is to devalue the currency. And that's exactly what the Fed has been doing, uh, as well as the ECB and the BOJ. And they're going to continue to do that. And that's why you see assets like gold and Bitcoin doing so extremely well, because before people's eyes, you're having your wealth stolen through inflation. And that inflation is not inflation of assets, I mean, of goods and services. It's inflation of money. And money is being devalued. 
Over the last three years, stocks are up about 6% a year. Not really that great. Uh, but if you denominate in gold instead of dollars, they're down 44%. If you denominate in Bitcoin, it's way worse. Hmm. Just curious, Mark, do you, you're an investor and you invest in stocks as well. Do you invest yeah. in any of these zombie companies? Because I don't want to lead the audience to believe that these may not be trades because they have a lot of debt. In fact, a lot of them have been trades. They've been decent trades. Yeah, look, we we have been short most of the companies on your list uh, for most of the year. Uh, We have turned around in a couple places. We do think there are some signs of life uh, in a company like Macy's, uh, not in terms of the business, but in terms of of the asset value relative to their future. And and so long as interest rates don't rise, which I don't think they will, I think all interest rates on the planet are going negative, just like in Japan and most of Europe. Uh, eventually, even Chinese ac- or, uh, interest rates will be negative because uh, there's no other way out. So uh, you look at ExxonMobil, that's been a, a short for, for four or five years. I think an industrial conglomerate that really can't make money in this type of oil environment uh, is not really a good long so we are mostly long and short. You know, our, our funds are, are only about 50% net exposed to equities today. We've been that way all year. Uh, that long short fund's up in the mid-20s because uh, it's been really good to be short some of the really bad companies uh, this year. Hey, markets. Hey, markets. Tim, thanks for joining us. I, I, hey, I definitely agree in the criticism of the Fed. And, and I, I, the, the, you brought up a really interesting concept on the deval of currencies. Um, but it's yeah. not a zero-sum game. And so it sounds like, look, if, if the dollar's being devalued, the yen's being devalued, and the euro's being devalued, um, is it other asset classes? I hear you comparing to gold and Bitcoin, but, but how about equities relative to themselves? Or, you know, ultimately, all of the fiat currencies are going down together. And, and in that sense, you know, for most people that aren't trading these other asset classes, you know, is, it, is the net effect zero to them? It's a, it's a really, really important question and, and exactly the right analysis. But here's the funny thing, right? If, if you three years ago when we started talking about this and Melissa and I you know, had our first uh, experience together when I said the market was 50% overvalued, and, uh, so we've had funds since then. But if you go back that, that three-year period, uh, I said equities are up about 6%. If you'd bought gold, you're up double that. If you bought gold miners, you're up triple that. If you bought Bitcoin, you're up way more than that. So while it is a zero-sum game, the zero-sum is the holders of financial assets. And think about Zimbabwe, best-performing stock market in the world in 2006 and 7. Look at Venezuela, best-performing stock market in 2018-19. You didn't want to own either one of those stock markets because the currency got destroyed. And the Fed has declared war on the U.S. dollar as of March. That was their only choice. They had to do it. And if you look at the amount of money that's been printed, the DXY could fall as much as 20% next year. That would be a strong headwind for stocks. And then on top of that, you have this problem, as you said, of competitive devaluations all around the world. So if the U.S. devalues, then Europe's got to devalue. Look how much the ECB has been printing. And the only actual fiat currency that's been doing well is the renminbi, because China's playing a whole different game, a story for another day. Mark, always good to talk to you. Thank you, Mark Yusko. No, thanks for having me. Morgan Creek. Um, I think that all the traders on this panel are sort of blaming the Fed for a whole host of things. Uh, Dan, I'll go to you because I think uh, 
you may be the band leader. I, I'm here. not blaming him. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm not blaming him at all, and I, and I take a, a slightly different stance to, to guy, you know, calling them the villains or, or this and that, or whatever. And, and, and I see where he's coming from. If the Fed didn't do what they did in February and March, we literally would be in a depression right now, right? And so, you know, I, I don't really have a problem with that um, at the end of the day. But what I have a problem is, is that not being able to put the connection together between the monetary and the fiscal stimulus to have the sort of lag that we have had when we know how important small businesses are and how our economy is consumer-led with more than 70%. So to me, it just doesn't make any sense. And I think Fed Chair Powell spent most of August and September begging um, the Treasury, begging the White House and begging Congress to do a deal, give the guy a break here and get, like, as you say, Mel, a bridge to the other side of the vaccine. We've got a market flash here on FireEye, which is moving in the after-hour session. Eric Chemi's got the story. Eric. Melissa, that's right. Cybersecurity company FireEye seeing shares jump up more than 9% after announcing a $400 million investment from Blackstone and cyber investment firm ClearSky. The new investment will be done through convertible preferred stock that can be converted into common shares at a price of $18 a share. Blackstone Senior Managing Director Viral Patel will join the board of FireEye as part of the transaction. FireEye also today announcing the acquisition of Response Software, the cybersecurity investigation automation company. With the after-hours move, FireEye stock is about double from its March low, but still below its 52-week high. Melissa, back to you. Eric, thanks. Eric Chemi, Guy, you flagged this one. Yeah, and FireEye, we've talked about for a while in the cyberspace. It's had a nice run. It's pulled back in the 14s. I think we've been pretty steadfast. So the levels we're trading at right now is effectively the high we saw, I think, on August 9th, if memory serves. But that $18 level is interesting for a number of different reasons, not least of which I think that's what the high was back in January. I'll stand by FireEye. I think it's going higher. I think Blackstone's onto something. You know, when you talk about some of the smarter people in the room, I think Blackstone fits that category. And the fact that they're investing $400 million in a company whose market cap, if I'm not mistaken, is about $3.5 billion, I think that's a statement. So stay with FireEye here despite the move to the upside. Bonowin. Yeah, I think what you're seeing is uh, Blackstone, I mean, they're very astute investors doubling down on the cybersecurity space. If you looked at from everything from retail to payment processing, we've seen things move to the digital space. That is the wave of the future, and I think Blackstone is on the right track here. All right, coming up, get ready to rock out because we're hitting the heavy metal trade. Three ways you can play the precious metals. We'll break it down straight ahead. But first, check out shares of Williams-Sonoma on the move after reporting earnings. That conference call is currently underway. We'll bring you all the details when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Williams-Sonoma popping in the after hours on the back of its latest quarterly results. For more on the numbers, let's get to Bertha Coombs. Bertha. Yeah, another blowout quarter, Melissa. Williams-Sonoma is reporting $2.50 a share. That's more than a dollar better than the $1.53 EPS estimate. It's seven street 
17th straight quarter of beating or meeting expectations. On the top line, a blowout as well. $1.75 billion in revenue is well above the uh, uh, ex- estimate as well. And just about $100 million shy of their record holiday quarter last year. It's uh, one of those things that it's just continuing to show the strength of home. The company has not missed uh, since 2016 in August on any of its comps. Overall comps up 24.4%, led again by Williams-Sonoma, up a record 30.4%. Pottery Barn, Pottery Barn Kids, and West Elm all up more than 20%. They'd only been up about single digits in the second quarter, so they're getting better on the fulfillment there. Digital Commerce up 49% after a 46% increase last quarter. And that accounted for about 70% of sales. You know, we talk about the strength of home, but on the call just now, Laura Elber, the CEO, says that she believes they're also well-positioned to continue to take market share in the B2B market, which they only started last year, but she thinks they're on pace for 300 million in business sales this year. And she thinks that could be a $1 billion business for them in five years. So they are firing on all cylinders there and trading close to their all-time high. Melissa? All right, Bertha, thank you so much. Um, This happening on a day where we had strong existing home numbers, record low mortgage rates once again, Tim. So this whole housing-related trade out of the pandemic is still working. It's extraordinary. I mean, look at the 30% move in restoration hardware in the, in the last month. And, and so, you know, back to Williams-Sonoma, like 30% comps in Williams-Sonoma brand, but 24.2 overall. Expectation was 10.2. Uh, and, and the numbers and the gross margin was, were, gross margins were up 410 basis points. So, you know, whatever you go to Williams-Sonoma to buy, and we've talked about that on the show, I'll leave that for somebody else. That's a little fun nugget for somebody else. But look, uh, 16 to 17 times, this is not an expensive stock. And if you look at where a lot of these trades go, especially with interest rates, home improvement, home equity loans out there for people, I actually think it's got a ways to go. I, I would not be selling this one yet. We aren't worried that there's pull forward. There's only so many sofas you can buy, so many fur throws guy so many pots and pans oh yeah and that was a knock on restoration hardware 30 40 percent i see what you're doing here i'm not going to go down that road i wasn't Melissa doing anything i'm just, I'm just saying that only one only needs one set I, of pots but, and pans and for years right to take proper no, care I, of no I, yeah. I i know that i think you yeah. make an excellent point and what i'll yeah. say to you is listen Look at their operating margins, 15.7%. Same quarter last year was, I think, 7.5%. And now look at this. Merchandise inventories were down 10.6% year over year. Why is that important? Because you have tremendous sales growth, and that's going to lead to even better margins. Now, if we had access to the Cranberry song Linger, which we don't, and I won't sing it, I could tie this whole thing together, but I won't do that either. But what I will say is... This is a stock that analysts are going to have to look at again and re-rate it. And I almost can guarantee over the next couple trading days, you're going to see analysts raise their price target on this name. So stay with WSM. That is a bold statement that this is a stock that deserves a re-rating. Bonowin, do you agree? Uh, I tend to agree. Listen, I mean, you'd be crazy to not pay attention to what's going on, right? So we've spoken to the K-shape recovery uh, Williams-Sonoma fits into that upper echelon, and they have a few different brands where they, they appeal to a higher-end consumer on some, of the, on some of their offerings. And you're kind of seeing that. Yes, you're seeing pull forward, but I think this is a, a, a lasting trend. And on, on an anecdotal point, 
Guy was just over the house the other day. He, le- he knows that I just moved. And he said, listen, I'm not going to come over if we're going to be eating off of paper plates and your bean bag. So he has implored me to kind of make the space something that's comfortable where you're going to be for quite some time working, playing and whatnot. I think it, the home is definitely going to be where the heart where work, where play, and everything else is going to be. And yes, because of those things, it does reserve a rewriting. I mean, there's, that's some tips. You know, take a look at Guy's background. He obviously has the knack for decorating. <laughs> he's got the pillows going on and the first. Yeah. I mean, he's the right yeah, he guy to that. take advice from Bonwin, that's for sure. Um, we've got some breaking news out of California. Governor Newsom issuing the statewide curfew starting at 10 p.m. through 5 a.m. It takes effect Saturday. This, of course, as COVID cases continue to climb across the country. Things are getting worse across the board with more restrictions uh, in terms of the impact here. Is there even a psychological? We saw the markets react a little bit yesterday when New York City announced that it would close its public schools and and do all virtual learning, um, Dan Nathan. And that may seem parochial, but a lot of money is managed out of the coasts. So it has an outsized mental sort of impact. I mean, listen, I think this brings us back to just really the depths of the pandemic back in February, March, April, where there was so much uncertainty. And we saw a lot of states like New York, like California, like Michigan, take some very aggressive mitigation steps. um, And they were starting to open up by the summer. So here we are doing it again. We know what that did to a lot of different industries. So even all those zombie companies that we're just talking about, the longer this goes on and the dysfunction that we have in the transition, which could actually turn into dysfunction with the dissemination of the vaccine that we we could be in a really tough spot. Now, all that being said, it keeps the Fed very accommodative and it might put a lot of pressure on a lame duck Congress to get a a stimulus deal done. So that's the way I think about it. But none of us want to go back to these sorts of quarantines or lockdowns or whatever you want to call them. There will be a a severe economic impact from that, though. Yeah. And and tomorrow, I would expect that You would look at sort of the pandemic stocks and see maybe a bid to them uh, versus the office suite stocks and some of the other ones that depend on a recovery like the airlines, Tim. You will. um, But I think airlines have been rallying in the face of, uh, unfortunately, record COVID numbers because there is a sense that we can see the other side. And as I said last night, th- th- this conversation with airlines is no longer about liquidity. It's about recovery. And it's about to what extent you'll get a recovery. And I, I think that that is where we are. Dan brings up like the, the Main Street dynamic here is is awful. This is going to put a lot of small businesses out uh, because where we're going to be for the next six weeks. Think about the period. I mean, they're, what they're doing in the, you know, in the in the capitals of California and New York are, are they're closing down for the holidays, which is which is probably the right thing to do, except for that's when most people make all their money. Think about all these small businesses that rely on this kind of money and, and this time of year. So um, it's very, very sad. But the markets are pricing in recovery because I think we have a timeline and I don't disagree with that. I, I, I think and there's a lot of businesses, even a Macy's back to our zombie companies. They did well in COVID once they got their digital game in order and their inventories aligned. Their stores that have reopened aren't doing all that well, mm-hmm. even now, even before things got bad. So um, I think those trends are alive and well. All right. We've got much more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The race for a COVID vaccine is fast and furious right now. What does that mean for the biotech stocks? We'll be joined by a top analyst who says, don't give these names a shot. And later... Roku in rally mode this year, and options traders are betting shares will continue to stream higher. 
That trade ahead. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Uh, I want to get you up to date on the breaking news that we just brought you. California imposing a statewide curfew from 10 p.m. through 5 a.m. starting this Saturday. We are tracking the very latest coronavirus numbers as cases continue to surge here in the U.S. The seven-day national average of new infections jumping more than 25 percent since last week. That big spike prompting the CDC to urge all Americans to stay at home this Thanksgiving. We did get some more promising news on the vaccine front. Data out of an Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine trial pointing to a robust immune response in adults. That's on top of promising vaccine news we've gotten in recent days from Pfizer and Moderna. And that's clearly sparking investor interest in the space. New data from Morningstar showing a whopping $1.7 billion flowing into healthcare ETFs uh, in the first two weeks of this month, following three months of outflows. But our next guest says you may have missed the boat on some of these leading vaccine stocks. Let's bring in Jared Holtz, healthcare equity strategist at Jefferies. Jared, great to have you with us. So these companies are saving humanity, and you say you expect softness into this year, into the year end, as well as next year. Melissa, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I think there there are too many programs. The the data is not um, all that cut and dry across the board. And I think when we go into next year, we're going to be talking about things like logistics, the supply chain, and pricing. I think all those dynamics. Um, you know, posed to be problematic as we think about this broader space next year. When you say the data isn't cut and dry, are you speaking specifically about the data sets that we've gotten so far from Pfizer uh, as well as Moderna? Yeah, we've only seen interim results from those trials. We still have safety data to go. Um, I'm, I'm fairly confident the safety will wind up being pretty good, but we are looking at these data sets kind of as a checking account or a balance sheet. We're looking at them as a snapshot in time. Uh, We're looking at the patient data on an efficacy basis about one week to two weeks post the second injection. So how these patients, um, you know, fare down the line longer term, I think there will still be some questions about durability. And in my mind, still too many variables to, you know, make a call here that they have to be owned at these prices. A lot of Americans had listened to that data, Jared, and thought these were going to be the silver bullet, so to speak. Are you saying that data could come out later on, which shows that that these vaccines aren't 95 percent effective? I think it's totally possible. We're only looking at about 100 patients in each trial. Um, and, and 
each of the clinical studies that you know we're referring to down now, the Moderna study and the Pfizer study, have about 30,000 or more patients. So I, I expect that number to go down. It's still you know, very efficacious, even if it were 80, 85 percent. And so I don't think the bar is quite 90 percent for some of the other trials that are have yet to read out. But yes, I think we're talking about numbers that probably do degrade over time, at least a little bit. Hey, hey Jared, um, I'm wondering, are you guys modeling out when you think that this is going to be or one of these vaccines or both or more are going to be widely commercially available in 2021 and when we get to a point where we view that we have an inoculated population here in the u.s because obviously we spent a lot of time talking about timetables here and stimulus is a bridge to the vaccine but it seems that the market is pricing this much sooner um, than the likelihood of this being widely available to our population I agree. I mean, I look at all of the street models when I kind of, you know, I'm trying to figure out where consensus is, at least on my side of the business, where consensus is for, you know, when the the mass production, the mass distribution will occur. And I think most models kind of point to, you know, a first quarter unveiling of, you know, multiple vaccines. And I think the more realistic picture, just based on the fact that the supply chain has really never dealt with something this dramatic in terms of this many injections ready for the public at these you know, temperatures, and we're talking about you know, negative 20, 30 degrees that they're gonna have to be stored at, at least initially, we've really never dealt with anything quite like this. So I think the, the expectation that this is gonna be an early 21 event is probably a little bit too optimistic. I'm, I'm fairly confident that as we get into the spring and summer, it's gonna be um, more realistic and, and obviously more substantial. But early 21, I think, is gonna, be, is gonna prove out to be a little bit too optimistic here. I wanted to get quickly, Jared, to the point that you made in your note, which I thought was really interesting. That is the pricing. Right now, a lot of people are baking in 20 to $40 a dose for these companies, but you're expecting that over time that price comes dramatically down in line with the pricing of other vaccines in the past. Yeah, definitely. This is one point I, I don't think investors are paying that much attention to. The, the flu vaccine that's available to all of us every year goes for about a, a dollar to two dollars, depending on uh, the manufacturer. That includes the H1N1 vaccine within it. So I'm not really sure, you know, how the government, as the biggest purchaser of these vaccines, at least in 2021 and probably 2022, is going to be able to withstand this type of pressure if companies are really going to charge upwards of forty dollars um, per per regimen or for the two doses of this vaccine, I, I would think it has to come wildly down over time. Mm -hmm. And especially as more competitors enter the market, uh, we, we haven't really seen the full data cut from AstraZeneca. You alluded to that earlier though. J&J uh, &J still has data, Novavax, Merck, and Sanofi. These are all major programs. And if they all work, I would think pricing goes way down into next year. Jared, great to speak with you. Thank you. You too, thank you. Jared Holtz of Jeffries. A lot of interesting points. The other one um, in his note is that he doesn't want to be long stocks in the manufacturing phase. And I think that's an important part too, Tim. I, look, we, we speak about this all the time. I, it, it's almost absurd to think that investors would be making a call on a vaccine play based on the vaccine. We don't know the pricing. We don't know really the, the progression. We don't know the timeline. We don't know the costs involved. Uh, and it, it, the things that, that have been moving 
stocks in biotech and pharma and healthcare have been more related to regulation, uh, Affordable Care Act, lack thereof, public, private, hospital. I mean, that, that's the dynamic. And if you want a, a one size fits all, to me, J&J is the name you go for because they have their pharma exposure. It is trading it. Uh, I'd say their pharma business is growing higher than some of the others, but it's their medical devices business that's stabilized in the last couple of years, their testing business. Uh, and J&J has been uh, a, a kind of a quiet underperformer and I think a name that should probably perform. Coming up, Tesla CEO Elon Musk taking to Twitter to troll other car makers. What is he up to now? We'll bring you his comments next. Plus, looking to dig into the heavy metals trade, we've got three ideas that are total chart toppers. The names when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Tesla trucking higher again today. And Elon Musk was out seemingly taking some shots at the competition. Phil LeBeau has got the details. And Phil, you sent me that email earlier. Thank you, by the way, for that. And when I read it, I thought, oh, he's digging, isn't he? Uh, well, somebody had asked Elon Musk about SPACs, and mm-hmm. he wrote, and here's the tweet, and I sent you this earlier today. Just caught my attention. It was nothing majorly, you know, like, wow, yeah, get away from SPACs. But he said... Caution strongly advised with SPACs. Look, that's some sage advice. Anybody would say that, given the fact that a lot of SPACs are pre-revenue, they're nowhere close to profitability, and yet, yeah, it makes you wonder, is he referencing the fact that we have seen nine EV-related SPACs that have been announced this year? Four of them have been completed, so they're publicly trading now. The market cap of those four, by the way, $22 billion. And we're going to show you how those have done in the last month. Now, you could argue a lot of the market was higher, so that's why you have Nikola, Fisker, Lordstown Motors, as well as Hylion all moving higher. But it is interesting that a lot of people are saying, will we see the SPACs continue to move higher as we go into the next year? Because they really, at some point, they're pre-revenue right now. In other words, they have no revenue at all. What happens in the future? Speaking of the future, General Motors out with a major announcement regarding electric vehicles today. And this is a company that is increasing its investments by 35%. So GM is clearly saying no excuses. If we're going to make a, a, a major move in EVs, we've got to do it. We'll invest $27 billion by 2025, 30 new EV models by 2025, two-thirds of those, by the way, in North America, and driving down the battery pack costs by 60% by the middle of the decade. But the number that's going to stand out, as you take a look at the stock year to date, the number that really stands out, they plan to sell 1 million EVs by the middle of this decade. They've got a slew of models coming, so it's execution time, Melissa. They have laid out a strong blueprint, and it looks good on paper. Now can they deliver? They have been promising, Phil, to do this for quite some time. They have been promising and they have been investing in electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. But this is the most declarative. And if you watch the presentation, it was a Barclays investment conference today. Mary Barra was there along with two other GM executives. This was the most declarative that Mary Barra has been in terms of saying we will succeed in electric vehicles. We know what we're doing. We will have the models that will connect. So now people are saying, okay, we've seen the Hummer. Looks good. We actually want to see it and drive it and feel it. And they're going to have the Cadillac Lyric. That comes out next year. Now you've got to produce on a regular basis. And will the market be there? Will there be enough people who want to buy a million EVs by 2025? Right. Phil, thank you, as always. Phil LeBeau in Chicago. Uh, Tim, I know you'll go GM. The most declarative they've been about their EV plan. You buy this, though. 
Well, I'm long, and, and I've always felt that at least in the last 18 months, the EV strategy, and this is not counting autonomous, which they've already made a couple steps in the last month or two, and I think the, the, the move to bring the company forward, but it, you know, look, everybody loves uh, you know, a Hummer, but that's not really the story here. Think about the, the, the declarations in terms of their deliveries, you know, a million vehicles a year. Um, if you think about the third-party licensing of their Ultium technology, that's something else. So they're, they're actually you know, claiming that they have technology that they will be licensing to other players. So the, the, the point here is this is a company that's gotten very lean and as asset light as they have ever been on a relative basis to themselves. Uh, they are very profitable now, and now they are pushing out and putting resources. And, and you know, one of the big problems with Tesla has not been their technology. It's been their execution. And so you know, we talk about one of the original OEMs who's at least in a position to, to deliver on these statements of deliveries. There's no question that Elon probably should be laughing at people based upon the money he's put in his pocket. Uh, but I think GM is bringing a level of credibility to this space that that people didn't expect was in that in that company. And it's certainly not in the share price. It's not in the stock. We've got an earnings alert on Workday. That stock is giving up all its after hours gains. Deirdre Bose has got the number C. Well, Melissa, shares jumped as much as 5 percent after better than anticipated results. But as you said, they reversed those gains. On comments from the CFO during the call, shares now in the red by more than 3%. CFO Robin Sisko said that near-term uncertainty remains higher than normal, so they will not provide fiscal year 2020 guidance until they get through Q4. She said that headwinds due to COVID remain, especially to net new bookings. And given their subscription model, those headwinds will be more evident in next year's subscription revenue weighing on growth in the near term. Now, keep in mind that investors, they were already jittery over Workday's growth prospects and the slowing rate of its core HR cloud business. Shares have more than doubled from March lows, but momentum has, in fact, slowed in recent months as investors take stock of the sustainability of demand and its valuation. Now, the executive team did, however, sound optimistic on the call regarding its cloud finance business and said that there's more opportunity as the renovation of the front office that did digital renovation shifts to the back office. But Melissa, it's really that uncertainty around future subscription revenue and growth that is playing out in the after hours. Lastly, do not miss Workday's co-CEOs on Fast Money tonight with Jim Cramer. No doubt we'll get more detail from them then. Back to you. Debo, thanks. We'll be watching Mad Money tonight to Deidre Bosa. Uh, Dan Nathan, what do you say about Workday? Well, Debo just surrounded the trade. I mean, here's the thing. Back in February and March, this stock got <laughs> cut in half, down nearly 50 percent when there were serious concerns about enterprise spending, given the uncertainty of the pandemic. Here we are now. Like she said, it's up over 100 percent from those lows. It's up 40 percent of the years. It trades 10 times sales, 70 times next year's earnings. Um, you know, it's kind of an expensive stock. It's held in there. If the cautious guidance doesn't end up being that bad, I mean, the stock only down 2 percent. I'd say that you, this thing is a buy over $200. That was the breakout level from a couple months ago, especially if it kind of holds in here. And just one last point. SAP last month was down 25% on worse than expected guidance. This guidance wasn't horrible by any means. So for a stock up 40%, I think it acts okay up here. All right. Coming up, the heavy metal trade has been shining bright this year, but is there more room for upside? Our next guest goes off the charts to find the three best names in the space and later shares a Roku hitting an all-time high today. Why options traders think the stock could stream even higher. That's coming up after a short break.
Welcome back to Fast Money. The metals market has been shining this year with gold, silver, copper, all up double digits. And if you're looking to rock out with some serious profits, our next guest has three names that belong on your heavy metal hit list. Let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Todd, take it away. Hey, Melissa. Uh, first, I want to take a look at uh, just set up the, the sector here, emerging markets over the XLB materials. Obviously, a lot of the a lot of the materials companies sourcing raw materials from emerging markets. So no surprise, good correlation. The other thing I would say is uh, emerging markets relative to the S&P is actually gaining steam here since September. So three names, Freeport, number one, strongly rotating into a leadership position within materials, within the non-ferrous metals industry. It's done really well. Charts looking really solid. It put in a higher low in 2020 compared to way back in 2016, which has uh, brought it up and through downtrend resistance source from 2011. So you know, we're going on 10 years. Uh, another 10 days from now, we get the monthly close above 20 bucks, and we could be all clear for Freeport. Amazing. Company gets 80% of their profits uh, from copper. Copper is an exact same looking chart, same kind of deal above three bucks in copper if we can sustain that in the monthly. Number two, Newmont, um, good monthly rotation uh, within this sector and industry group. Uh, Newmont is the strongest right now that they have exposure to gold, copper, uh, silver, zinc, lead, uh, trying to break a 25-year channel through 75. Again, we're, we're actually seeing some of these material stocks sort of reflation trade, emerging markets coming on. I, we might actually see inflation. Last is not really a mining stock. Albemarle ALB uh, is the leader in lithium mining uh, for these EV stocks. Uh, for the batteries, very interesting space right now. It's 21% of the global production uh, with so much focus right there. Uh, it's very much in play. Again, uh, a solid monthly uptrend. Uh, you can see in the channel if the chart's up, monthly resistance all the way up under $200. Thank you, Todd. Todd Gordon, tradinganalysis.com. Um, Bonoan, your favorite here. Yeah, I'm looking at FCX. I like the way that stock has been trading. And really, you know, although they do have a, a bulk of their revenue source from copper, they are still a diversified natural resource company. And what that does, it gives you the protection of the downside, right? If we've talked about how emerging market has outperformed, we've talked about the pressure on the dollar. And then it also gives you on the back end exposure to the reopening recovery story that we've seen the rotation into. So I've been looking at that one uh, particularly sticks out to me. But great analysis on his part. Guy. So it's interesting. Albemarle, which we don't talk about a lot, I think City just upgraded the stock. I believe they put a $132 price target on it, but that's just them playing catch up. You might see more analysts. It's had a huge run. I'm with you. I think you know how I feel about gold. I think, you know, gold's building a base here. I think Newmont Mining's a place to be. And Freeport, which Tim has talked about, I know we've mentioned it a number of times over the last six months. Tremendous run. Feels like it's long in the tooth. I don't think it is. I think FCX can continue to uh, gain ground from these levels. All right, moving on here. Let's take a look at Roku shares topping the tape, hitting a new all-time high and some bullish comments from Liberty Media Chairman John Malone. He sat down exclusively with David Faber earlier today. Here's what he said. I think the people who have the, uh, the platforms, uh, in addition to the content or, or only the platforms, like a Roku, uh, are in pretty good position to build... Uh, uh, a long-term profitable uh, global business. The comments also generated a lot of bullish buzz over in the options market. Mike has got the action. Mike, what'd you see? 
Yeah, so we saw about three times the average daily call volume on the back of those bullish remarks that he made. And a lot of the activity was concentrated on the weekly options expiring tomorrow and a week from tomorrow. I was looking at the 260 calls. They were paying about $5 for those, risking about 2% of the current stock price, betting that the rally that started on his comments is going to continue next week. Dan, your take on Roku? Listen, it's making a new all-time high, playing that momentum, doing it with defined risk, risking 2% of the stock price. That seems to be the way to play it. This is not something I'm particularly a fan of, though, in this name. Mike, thanks for that. Mike Coe, for more Options Action, tune into the full show. That is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up next, we've got your final trades. It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. A company, an auto company, who's going to have a better-selling EV vehicle than GM is Ford. It's going to be the F-150, and when it happens, and it's certainly we've getting some guidance there, and it's a, probably a better chart than GM's. Check out Ford. Dan Nathan. Yeah, I like that Mustang Mach-E that's coming out late this year, early next year from Ford also. Um, but I continue to think that retail is a sale here. I know the XRT is making new highs. I think this quarter is going to be very uh, promotional, and it's going to be a tough one for retailers. Bono and Eisen. Keeping with the metals theme, I'm looking at GDX. It's testing its 200 DMA around 35 bucks. If it holds that, I think you continue to see the base that it was in June. Look for upside there. Guy Dami. So if you had to pick a zombie song, Mel, uh, She's Not There or Time of the Season, what would, what would you pick? I think I know, but I'm just curious. I think the folks at home might want to know. The former. Yeah, funny. That's what I thought as well. You're so it's it's amazing the job you do with classic rock. I try. Well and done. Of, of course, we mentioned the cranberries. You know, the band happens to be a big fan of the show, and again, the great Dolores O'Riordan, who we lost too soon. Unfortunately, we couldn't play Linger. Uh, there were reasons why we couldn't do that. I won't get into them. But Wayfair, day two. Take a look at letter W. Mad Money starts right now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.